All right, so we're going to move to the, the, the third talk, we're kind of making a progression through the life of Our Lady. Um, and it's going to be the wedding at Cana, John chapter 2, which makes sense because right in the middle of, of our reflections, this is the, the mystery of Mary's life, one of the luminous mysteries that is most directly tied to marriage. Because it takes place at a wedding feast, um, it's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And traditionally, there's a lot of symbolism here. Um, symbolism about Christ the bridegroom and the church and the nuptial banquet and the Eucharist. And that's a lot, a lot of commentators will, will write about this, this mystical, spousal, uh, covenantal dimension, the wine being the symbol of the covenant. Can I ask you one question? Sure. Why did Jesus call him part woman? No, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah, so, so it's, it's a, there is, there's, there's symbolism there, a lot of it going on, because this is John's gospel, and he would have been able to, to, to tie in that deeper spirituality. But I, I want to look at it from, I guess, more of a realistic perspective. We'll get into some commentary on, on the deeper mystical sense, but just really looking at Our Lady's role in the midst of it, particularly the the beginning exchange, the beginning part of the gospel, um, rather than the second part where he actually turns the water into wine, but really sort of looking at the, the first part. So, so again, if you know anything about it, we think that we down here in southern Louisiana have big wedding feasts. They had big wedding feasts. It went on for days. And the whole town would come, and family and friends, and probably pretty loud, very chaotic, uh, lots of music, lots of celebration and lots of food and lots of wine. Um, you know, so it would have been this great party. What's interesting to say is that uh, first it mentions that Mary was invited, then it was Jesus and the apostles. So John makes note that Mary was like the first one to be invited and not necessarily as an afterthought, but oh, why don't you have your son and his buddies come too? They can come along too. And, and what's interesting, and I just was praying about this yesterday, this was right at the start of Jesus' public ministry, which means, if we understand tradition, there's a chance that Joseph would have just died, maybe within the course of a year, and that Mary, both internally and sort of formally, would still be mourning. She's a widow. And quite possibly, this is the, the first outing that Mary would have had. Uh, again, I know how it is when we mourn a loved one, say, I'm going to go out to this big party and have a good time and celebrate, you know, quite possibly it would have been a bit difficult for her. I don't know, but chances are if you sort of put it in historical context or chronological context, you know, so she goes, so chances are to, to, to say yes, I mean, did she know the couple well? Was it just everybody in the neighborhood invited? I mean, so chances are because she was the first one invited, she would have known maybe the parents of the couple, or she would have known the couple that was getting married, um, so she arguably had some knowledge of the family. I also think, too, if this is the beginning of the public ministry, that means Jesus probably would have just recently called the apostles. What does Mary think of these 12 dudes that Jesus is hanging around with? Here's my son living at home for 30 years, then all of a sudden, He's got this gang of basic thugs 
They're not thugs, you know, one of them's a political revolutionary, they're these fishermen, they're kind of gross, they probably stink. What? She, she didn't judge them. I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? Because we're going to see, Mary had faith, it wasn't all apparent. And so, Jesus, Jesus had for his wedding invitation, plus 12. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to RSVP, I mean, come on. So, but anyhow, surely Mary, and again, that, that, that tender, loving others, even though she, she maybe struggled to be there, she, she wanted to do it for the family. She wanted to be there to be a, a, a presence. So here we have everything is setting. Mary trying to maybe enjoy herself um, and, and getting and talking to people. Again, people probably wanted to come talk to her, offer maybe condolences that, that Joseph had just died. But wanting to be in her presence, even then that joyful presence, people, the, she's the life of the party. Even though maybe she was an introvert, she wanted to hang out in the corner and not talk to anybody. <laughs> but Jesus is probably doing that. He's probably with the, the fellows. He's, 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 he's with the disciples. He's kind of hanging out. Maybe they're at the table there, eating their little, little cucumber sandwiches or something, their little meatballs, their boudin, I don't know. <laughs> but she's the one who notices that the wine has failed. She notices that the wine has failed. And she probably had to really notice the wine has failed because there's been a lot of wine. That's, okay, everything is gone. She probably had to look. Whoa, man, she probably thought, these people can drink. My goodness. <laughs> but she was the one who noticed. She was the one who noticed the wine had failed. It's gonna become important. And so what does she do? She immediately goes to Jesus. And, and, I think that this, as much as there is a theological frame here, on a human level, I don't know, I just think this is really, really funny. If you kind of put it, knowing the intimacy that, that Mary and Jesus would have had, and particularly after 30 years, um, their relationship as, as son to, to mother, I think there would have been some intimacy, some dimension of humor. So here comes Mary, and she goes to Jesus. And, and remember at this time, she arguably had never seen Jesus work a miracle. Jesus wasn't just like working miracles around the house. His miracles were worked for, for, for the public. So she probably knew he could work a miracle. She didn't know what he was going to do. But she went to him and said, they ran out of wine. Why don't you, why don't you do something? And what is Jesus' response? It seems rude, but I think it's a woman. What, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, the reason that she uses woman is a reference to Eve. Woman, the woman, the woman. And we're going to see it's a reference to Revelation 12 too. Uh, the woman. So Mary is the, the fulfillment of Eve. Um, she is the, the symbol of the perfect bride, while Christ is the new Adam. So there is a theological reference. What does this have to do with me? Now, Jesus probably was, of course, respectful, but I think it's the response. Mary doesn't give him a response. She just probably rolled her eyes and said, <laughs> do whatever he tells you, knowing that he's going to do it, knowing that she is going to, he is going to be obedient to her. She just has this confidence. So, and I can see kind of like the, the, the gaze in each other's eyes, the little smirk in their face. And Jesus was not being disrespectful, but like, well, what does that have to do with me? And, Jesus, and Mary's like, uh, do whatever he tells you. And kind of smiling as she walked away. Um, sort of a, maybe a, a quick little exchange. Can you all envision that? Mm -hmm. yeah, whether that was it or not, I, I don't know. 
I think maybe Jesus just given a sigh. Oh, you know, all right. Uh, even though he would have known this is part of the way it's supposed to be. And so, of course, Jesus works the miracle. Um, now, we know this situation. John, John would have been there. So John arguably would have been at the wedding, but would, would he witness this exchange? Did he realize that they ran out of wine? Maybe he did, but of course, then living with Mary, if this figures, this is the, the main first miracle. Why would he think this is important when others didn't even allude to it? Quite possibly because Mary said, listen, this is really important. You need to put this in your gospel. And so there it is right at the beginning, um, beginning Christ's signs and his miracles. So when it comes to, to our own marriages and our own lives, what from this exchange, um, what can we learn for ourselves and for our marriages? Uh, <laughs> now, this is one that kind of, even though it's explicitly about marriage, I think that the reflections are very individualistic, but they also can apply it to couples. What do we see in Mary and, and what can we learn? The, the first one is the question, how did she come to know that they ran out of wine? How did she come to know they ran out of wine? Now, the first argument would be, well, Father, just like you said, they knew that it was easier to approach Mary than to approach Jesus. But the reality is, no one knew Jesus could work a miracle. No one who knew Jesus was. Mary, if even she had never seen a miracle, they would have had no idea. Here's this dude, this three-year-old dude who's been living with his mom and dad for the past three years. All of a sudden, he's got a gang he's hanging around with, <laughs> eating all my food, drinking my wine. They would have no idea. So they wouldn't have gone to Mary in order to say, hey, go talk to Jesus, like we would. That probably would not have happened, at least from the context of what we understand. So it would have been Mary seeing it, paying attention, noticing, looking for details. Don't expect the apostles to notice that. You know, don't expect any man to notice that. But, but she was. She was the one because of her caring for other people, her noticing details, her paying attention, would have noticed, oh, they, they ran out of wine. And so she's the one who then decided to act. So he, here's Mary, even when she could have been boudang at home that she lost Joseph, she goes out, she tries to be joyful, and she is worrying about the needs of others. Worrying about the needs of others, and is willing to take action. Willing to take action. To see what others need. And then, of course, go to Jesus um, so that he can work the miracle. A miracle which, if you notice, no one really notices. No one really notices. So Mary didn't publicize it and say, I'm going to get my son to fix this. She just goes herself. And then Jesus works the miracle where the bridegroom doesn't even notice. In our own lives, how many times does maybe Mary intercede for us or the graces we receive for miracles that we don't even notice? That maybe in the next life, she doesn't say, look, look how I intervened here, look how I intervened there in a way that you didn't even know that I was doing it. And so it's that paying attention to 
situations, paying attention to details, paying attention to others, paying attention to their needs, to their emotional states, we can see how this is important for marriage because it's so easy for marriage and for priests to get caught up in work and the routine and what we expect from the other person and what we expect from this day to not pay attention, to not look, to not see. Pope Francis talks about that in Amoris Laetitia, that being able to, people are crying out to be seen, to be noticed, and we just get so caught up in all the little things we do. So Mary teaches us to pay attention, to notice those details, particularly when it comes to others. I can tell my husband's upset. What's wrong? I can tell my kids maybe having a bad day. To not be afraid to reach out, to not hover, but to reach out and to see the things that are needed and take care of them even before another person notices. Uh, you know, pick up the trash even though someone else probably should. You know, paying attention to things, to situations, and to people. So that's the first thing. So so important in our daily life, but also in marriage. Particularly, we, we get so distracted. I mean, we're on our phones, we're running here and there to, to slow down to pay attention. Now, number two, let's say the wine would have run out, or as the, the translation says, the wine failed. Imagine that you, as parents here, are putting on this big, wedding for your kid, and you spend all this money and everything, and then all of a sudden, whoo, the wine runs out. What is that? That is going to be a very big embarrassment. You know, people are going to talk about it. Remember the time we went to the wedding? And, you know, they, they only had two cases of 14 hands. <laughs> but those cases, they invited all those people from Arneville, and they got smashed. <laughs> So, you know, did they not plan? Did they not have enough money? Uh, Mary just paid attention, but there's a certain sense that she decided to act because she wanted to save them from shame and embarrassment. Yeah, there's a mystical sense, like, I, I don't want these people, who arguably I probably know, to be embarrassed. That's a really big embarrassment, particularly for a culture like that where hospitality is so important. Maybe we don't, we don't see that um, in our own culture, but for the Jewish culture, if you read anything, I mean, hospitality was crucial. I think we understand that in, in our culture in southern Louisiana. And so they wanted to shave, save them from shame and embarrassment, just like Joseph. Remember Joseph wanted to save her from shame, and so it was a divorce quietly. She wanted to save them from shame. What she had received, she was going to do for others. Because, you know, if they would have run out of the wine, others gossiping and ridiculing and blaming them, making the kids mad at the parents because they ran out of wine. And so Mary wanted to shave, save them from that. Which points to ourselves within our families or outside of our families. How often do we act like that? Oh, here's this embarrassing thing, let's talk about it. Let's let this person be shamed so they can learn their lesson. Or when they fail, I think when they fail, the wine fails, I'm gonna teach you a lesson. No, to be willing to cover for others, 
to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mary probably said, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they are having rough financial times. Uh, let, let's cover for them. Instead of willingness to, 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 to protect others from shame, to not expose them, to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so that's, again, in our own families, like, hey, you know, there's that shot in Freud. We love it when other people fail or are fools. Look at that, particularly if someone who hurt us. No, to, to want to protect. But also within that, for our own lives, there's a lesson. So often we have to get to the brink of disaster or we have to get to a certain failure to create the environment for a miracle to happen. We want God to work in our lives. Well, guess what? If everything is going well, if we got plenty of wine, we don't need God. So for him to really intervene for the miracle we work in, there's got to be some failure. There's got to be that, that brink of a disaster that it could, it seems like a disaster, in order for the intercession to take place. And, and so what happens is, is I, I talk a lot about perfectionism. Perfectionists. I don't think a lot of people who are pure perfectionists, they're just afraid of failing. It's not that they want to be perfect, they just don't want to fail. And so why? So we do everything we can to avoid failing, not like we deliberately fail, not like we deliberately run out of wine, so that everything is perfect. But if we don't take the risk of failing, we don't put the wine out there, well then guess what? There's not going to be any miracle. I mean, eventually there's going to be a miracle because you can try all you want. You are going to fail. Uh, but if we always want things to be perfect, and if we're always trying to control everything and not take that risk and say, like, we invite a lot of people, we may not have enough wine, but we're going to give it a shot. And we never risk failure, and then we never create that space in our humanity uh, for the Lord to be able to work. And so if, if we do, inevitably, whether we create the space or not, or whether we take the risk or not, we're going to mess up. Even though, you know, some of y'all have been married at it for 30 years. Guess what? Y'all still mess up. So you feel, well, we've been married for 30 years. We should be over this by now. We should be perfect. We should have learned how to do it in the first 10 years. But, I mean, have any of y'all become more perfect than, than the time you've been married? <laughs> I'm not. And so there's the, the, I, I think this is a false idea that when, if we get, we, yeah, in certain sense we get better at loving, but we're still going to mess up. The wine is still going to fail. And so there's be merciful on each other. I've been using that analogy of Drew Brees. He retired. But after, what, 15 years, he still threw interceptions. You ever think, man, he's been playing for so long, he should know not to make mistakes. But he does. And so he forgives himself, the team forgives him. We're all going to. You're going to make errors of judgments. You're going to fail even though you were trying your best. And it's not intentional. You're not trying to do it, but you are. And so you need mercy. Guess what? 21 years as a priest. I still screw up. I still make mistakes. Oh, I should have learned that. I've been in love enough. No, I do. And we all do. And so that's that need for mercy. But if we, have, if we invite Mary to our weddings to our lives, she can turn failure into triumph, into victory. And not just, I'm going to give you some wine, but I'm going to give you a super abundance of it. Look, y'all had the, 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 the nine crimes. I'm giving you the silver oak. All right? I'm giving you the camus. 
It's going to be really, really nice, but you got to give me the space to be able to work. Turning failure into triumph. Where is the, the biggest place that we saw failure turn into triumph? Well, we're going to celebrate it this week. The failure of the cross turns into the triumph of the resurrection. So, so you kind of can see a foreshadowing of that here at the wedding of Cana, the beginning of the end. The, the, the marriage supper, the consummation, just in different ways. And so we've got to learn to accept failure, imperfection, running out of wine in our own lives. It's, it's, I can use the word failure because they use it in the translation, but it's that running out of wine because if not, we're not going to be able to experience the superabundance. We're not going to have the joy that comes after it, but we've got to face the fear. And third and finally, Mary just goes and says, hey, Jesus, son, go work this, go, go take care of it. There's a radical confidence in Jesus. The radical confidence in Jesus. And, and but there's two levels of confidence here. Confidence that he could do something. Again, as I said, even though he hadn't worked a miracle yet, there's faith that he could do something. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for, that we see throughout the Gospels. Your faith has saved you. Lord, I know you can do this. I know you can heal me. I know you can work this miracle. But there's another type of faith there. It's the type of faith, or an expression of faith, that he would say yes. So not only I have faith that Jesus, she had faith that Jesus could do it, but that Jesus would say yes to her. Even though it's a pretty big favor, she doesn't necessarily know he's going to do it. Maybe she thinks that he's going to have to go drive down to Costco and <laughs> pick up a few cases. I don't know. Uh, but it's that same faith that, that, that gets her through Calvary. And we're going to, we're going to look at that at the next time. And, and it's something that you know, I've seen in my life uh, as a priest, and maybe you as parents have experienced it. When a child, here maybe a student, comes to you to ask you for something pretty big. Uh, granted, maybe it's $10,000, but what's outside of the money or need is they ask you for something big because they have confidence in your love for them. Your confidence in your love for them. That, that I, I know for me, when I've had students ask me for some pretty big things, you know, a lot of the times it could be a number of things. Most of the time it's, Father, uh, could you have a holy hour for us at 6 a.m.? Well, yeah, I can. Now, mostly the ones who want a holy hour at 6 a.m. will talk to the person that knows I can say no to. They're certain that I will not say no to, and of course I will do it. And it's out of love for them. I don't actually want to wake up at 6 a.m. Now, sometimes I tell them no. Like yesterday, they wanted a holy hour. Nope, i got to go running because i got to stay on schedule. But most of the time, I will. And so, and that's always, it's touching because I know they have confidence that I will say yes. They're not abusing it, but there's a confidence. And so it's the same confidence, I think, that we ought to have in going to God. The, the Lord loves me enough to, to give me what I want. Not, I want a Maserati. But if it's something really good, so, so often, well, I want to do God's will, I want to do God's will. Well, sometimes God wants to do what you want. I use the, 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 the analogy of, let's say that your dad 
comes and says, hey, we're going, we're going out for pizza tonight. Let's go. I'm paying. It's on me. You can get extra cheese. No pepperoni. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I really don't want pizza. I want a hamburger. Most dads are going to say, sure, let's go. I want to give you what you want. And so us asking the Lord for what we want in confidence that he will say yes. I know you can't tell me no. This is St. Therese. St. Therese knew her dad would not tell him no. And so the same confidence we have to God. Now, he may tell us no. He may say, I'm a vegan, so we're not going to go eat, uh, eat, eat, eat hamburgers. So we're going to get some pizza and get a bunch of vegetables on it. Uh, but he wouldn't because they would have cheese on there if he was a vegan. He's just a vegetarian. <laughs> just a, no offense to any vegans in here. Uh, he's a vegetarian. Uh, but it's... it's it's the daughter asking, St. Therese asking the father. Uh, that's the kind of confidence that Mary had in Jesus, that we should have um, in the Lord. So when it comes to things that we need, and of course when it comes to things in our own family. So these, these three things that we see lead up to the, the most important thing. Invite Mary to your wedding. Invite Mary into your marriage. I love to preach on this at weddings. I preach on John chapter 2 more than just about anything. And that's why I love it when the couple goes and makes the consecration to Mary. And I explain it because it offers a lot of Protestants. Why are they doing that? Because John chapter 2. Mary, when the couple didn't know what they needed, Mary knew what they needed. So often we don't know what we need. We don't know that we're about ready to run out of wine. But if we invite Mary in and we have a devotion to Mary, she will see it. And we trust that without us having to ask, even though sometimes we can, that she will go to Jesus. Our Lady will notice the lack before we do. And she is willing to go and intercede on our behalf. So this is the whole intercession of the saints. This is the great explanation of why we go to the saints. Because... Jesus can't tell his mom no. Come on, people. It's right there. And, and so we may say, well, I'm married to our marriage. We've got so many problems. I don't want to burden her with all of our problems. She's got other things to be taken care of. But go back to the first talk. If Mary really loves us, if we are her children, then she takes great joy in helping us. Think about Robin just said how you're just waiting for your children, your son to come to you. You know, it's like you're sitting, you know, it's like you it's yeah, you're, Mary's waiting for us. Yeah, she's waiting, like, come to me. It's I'm, not a burden. I'm you know, going like yeah. you're waiting for your son. That's exactly correct. I, she's there. She will come, you know, yeah. ask me. I'm willing yeah. to go and intercede for you. And she gets great joy right. in helping. But also that wine in scripture becomes a symbol of joy. Wine gives joy to the heart. Um, so you see that throughout scripture. So not just joy to the heart, the best wine. So Mary, like Babette, takes joy in giving us joy, in giving us the good things. Sometimes we've got to pick up the cross, that's what we're going to talk about next, but that she delights in seeing us joyful. So to have some trust in that. But of course, if the most important thing is if you invite Mary into your marriage, and 
again, it's the same with the family rosary or, or consecration or having a little shrine to Our Lady or reading books together. You better get ready to hear, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> All right? So that's, that's, that's the catch. Mary, I want some wine. I want all these great things. All right. Do whatever he tells you. And so she's going to always lead us to the sun, but there's that obedience and faith. So Jesus may say, oh, I need you to do this or that. It may be something that is not super pleasant to us. But, but this is where it all leads. And Mary, of course, knows that if we do whatever he tells us, he reveals to us, even though we may not like it, and it may not make sense to us, he can work a miracle. So we want to understand things. I'm writing these notes down. Uh, I preached on this before. So when Jesus says, all right, go get these, these big jars for purification. This is where these right, they were Jews would have washed their hands in them. And it had been purifying rites, which would have been sort of liturgical. But also, you could feel that they, didn't, they didn't have any hand sanitizer back then. They're probably out working, they get dirt on their fingernails. They didn't have toilet paper back then. You never know. They're petting the animals. And they're washing their hands in that. So they were empty, so they're filled up. So basically, and then Jesus turned that into best wine. That's basically like saying, Go fill up the toilet, baby, let's do it. <laughs> so they were like, what in the, wor what in the world am I, what in the world is he doing? How is he going to achieve anything good out of this? So we may not understand it. But the Lord will use your toilet water to turn it into wine. So, so it goes back to the failure. Failure, things that you don't expect. Things that are probably pretty gross. Um, it doesn't make sense, but you're going to understand it. Just do whatever he tells you. Do, just say, do whatever he say, uh, tells you as long as you understand. No, no, no. Just do whatever he tells you. All right. Here's your homework. Reflection. So, so how good are we at paying attention to details to how our spouse or our children are feeling? Again, that may be a good question for your spouse to answer for you. Um, in case you're interested. And number two, in what ways have you seen in your own lives, your marriage, failure turn into triumph or victory? This is, we had this big fight, but we got over it and, you know, you took me to the Bahamas or something like that. I don't know. Whatever, something like that. And then give thanks for it, of course. And then come up with some concrete ways that, that leaving here that you can invite Mary into your marriage. These are the concrete ways that we're going to invite Mary into our marriage. And so what we're gonna do is, I think we have a break until 11.45, um, and then we'll have lunch and then return. Yeah, which